I'm Afshin Ratansi and welcome back to Going Underground, broadcasting all around the world from a West Asia transformed by war on Gaza. NATO nation so-called mainstream media might make you think violence in Palestine began 23 days ago on October the 7th, but alleged genocide is repeated since the 1947 UN General Assembly vote to create a Jewish sector in Palestine. Fake news used by the powerful to go to war in the Middle East is a specialty of British historian Sir Lawrence Friedman. He was on the UK Public Inquiry exposing secrets that led to the NATO nation war on Iraq. Sir Lawrence Friedman, Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London, author of Command, the Politics of Military Operations from Korea to Ukraine, joins me from the British capital. Thank you so much, uh, Sir Lawrence, for coming on. I didn't mention there that, of course, uh, the uh, future Middle East envoy, Tony Blair, you wrote uh, or helped write his uh, infamous 1999 speech in Chicago uh, on the doctrine of uh, international community. I mean, I've got to ask you first your take on what UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres calls clear violations of international law by an Israel, of course, supported by Britain, the United States, European Union nations, I should say Britain did abstain with Russia on one resolution on Gaza. Well, the UN Secretary General actually condemned both sides for violations uh, of international law, not just Israel. Um, and he did so because Hamas places uh, weapons, rockets that it's firing into Israel in the middle of uh, civilian areas, which is war crime. So no, no side comes out particularly well. Well, Israel immediately said that he has to resign. The Israeli ambassador said... Yeah, well, he's not going to resign. Israel is... I'm not a spokesman for the Israeli... No, no, I, I just wonder what your view was of the fact the UN Security Council's secretary... You know, the UN Secretary General has said this, and I should... Yeah, I should add, Israel said immediately uh, he should resign, which I've never heard of. Uh, a, well, he's, uh, he's, not going, he's not going to resign. Um, and uh, he has got a job to do balancing lots of different views and perspectives. Of course. Uh, I think Israel is very sensitive to the the fact that it, it feels it was the aggrieved case in uh, here and, the, and that uh, whenever there is a sort of a equidistance between the aggressor and the aggrieved, uh, you'll get this sort of response, obviously. Can you uh, remember a time, I mean, you've been observing this for decades, where a country has not only said a UN Secretary General has to resign, but that they will no longer allow any UN personnel visas to enter a country after well, a this, There have actually been uh, instances where people have got pretty cross with the UN Secretary General. Uh, Guterres is actually uh, quite an outspoken Secretary General, m uh, many of them uh, keep a much lower profile. He's been more outspoken on Russia, Ukraine than other secretary generals might have been, and Russia hasn't particularly liked that. Uh, so he, he's out in front. I think the Israeli reaction uh, is overdone, and I suspect they'll resolve from it uh, eventually. Uh, I mean, I suppose what I'm getting at is it, it took you seven years for you and your fellow privy councillors to report that Britain and the United States had undermined the authority of the UN Security Council in what you judged as the unnecessary Iraq war that killed, wounded, or displaced tens of millions in the region. I mean, clear just after a few weeks, they're doing the same thing all over again. Britain, in fairness, did abstain with Russia at one resolution, as I said, but the United States uh, repeatedly rejecting, say, the Brazilian resolution for a ceasefire, not wanting a ceasefire, while all around the world we see the pictures of uh, thousands of children being killed. 
You could ask why there weren't ceasefires between Syria. You can ask why there weren't ceasefires in, in Yemen. When these wars are underway, one side favors a ceasefire and another one doesn't. Uh, I no, but I didn't realize. So you're saying the United States is a belligerent. Personally, I, this is not an unusual situation. Uh, it's, it's why you're not getting a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine. As far as Israel is concerned, and again, I'm not speaking for Israel, but you might as well know their view. As far as Israel is concerned, uh, if um, uh, Hamas launched uh, an attack on Israel, which killed, uh, brutally killed large numbers of civilians. And while Hamas is in charge uh, of Gaza, they fear it'll happen again. So they're trying to remove them. If they have a ceasefire, that won't happen. Personally, I don't think what they're doing is going to uh, see Hamas removed, uh, and they're going to have to look for other methods of, of achieving that objective. But that's why they're not accepting uh, a ceasefire. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the issue with, with this problem is whether we can find a way to produce uh, an outcome that is good for the Palestinians, not particularly good for Hamas necessarily, but good for the Palestinians, and produces stability where there has been constant instability for many decades. But So you still think that despite what the Secretary General said about, uh, infamously, that those attacks that you're referring to did not occur in a vacuum, something I'm sure most people would agree with. Uh, you, you wouldn't say that Israel, as set up by Britain, is, I mean, is it a tenable state as it has been acting in the region for so many years? I mean, I know there was normalization talks, ideas. Well, there are most, state, most states in the region now accept the existence of the state of Israel. It's tenable, nine million people. Uh, well, there. Hamas, Hamas kind of does because it wants the uh, 1967 uh, borders. The, the problem. I mean, the, the difficulty. Let's go back to the, the Secretary General's statement. The difficulty. Um, it, it seems to me obvious that all conflicts have a history. They therefore have a context, uh, and this one emerges out of out of that context. Uh, oddly, it, it, in this case, it emerges out of a belief uh, amongst the Netanyahu government that they should uh, push harder in the West Bank in the belief that actually they had some sort of understanding with Hamas, which is why they were taken so much by, by surprise. Uh, so there's a question of the immediate trigger, but the history of this part of the world, um, which goes back well before the Balfour Declaration, uh, is one of constant tension and conflict between... Uh, uh, and, of course, the Jews... Uh, you know, settled in, in in Israel long before 1947. Eight, it goes back a long time. So they're not going away. This is their home. Uh, the, the question is, under what conditions does Israel uh, continue to exist, and as it has done up to now, thrive uh, in an economy and society without, at the same time, making life miserable um, and depressing for the Palestinian population. Yeah. Now, I mean, clearly, no one is saying anyone should go go home. As I said, Hamas recognized 1967. Well, Hamas, Hamas, is, Hamas has said very different things during its, during its existence. Okay, uh, but... It, 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 it stance is rejectionist. Uh, at one point it did accept, it did talk about the 1967 boundaries, but its basic stance is rejectionist, which suited Netanyahu. This is what's so sad and tragic about this sort of thing, where you have the... Um, the hardliners are uh, on both sides feeding off each other. 
Yeah, of course, you've suggested a medium-term solution of boosting the Palestinian Authority. I know you did recognize the problems with that. Maybe explain yeah. the problems you recognize in that, because don't they just have equally poor uh, democratic legitimacy? Hamas was elected, PA was elected, but the elections were years ago. Yeah, I think there's, but there's problems with democratic legitimacy um, for reasons we understand. The Palestinian Authority does not have a good reputation. It's... Um, uh, Abbas is uh, getting quite old now. Uh, it's cor been corrupt. It hasn't been particularly effective, and it's been consistently undermined uh, by by the Israeli government. So it hasn't had a great time. Uh, I think most people looking at at solutions now, which is where I think it's most useful to look, are talking about the Palestinian Authority plus. Uh, you, you you need the other Arab states in the region closely involved, I think, in, in trying to work out what you do about um, uh, developing a, a, a legitimate and effective governance in Gaza. Um, we, because it's, this is, in, in the West Bank, it's a territorial issue about who holds what territory. That's not the issue in, with the Gaza Strip. It's about the conditions in, in which the uh, uh, it can trade and people can move in and out and so on, which clearly is, is not possible uh, at this moment. So I think the, 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 if you're looking for the future, you're going to be looking for the Palestinian authority, but with a much bigger, wider Arab and international engagement, just simply because of the resources that are going to be necessary to put uh, to put the Gaza Strip back on its feet. And is that without the United States? Because obviously nothing we're watching of the horrors inflicted on Gaza could be happening without the arming of Israel by the United States, by Britain and European Union nations. Uh, one Israeli general being quoted in Israeli press saying, you know, uh, whatever we do, we take our orders de facto now as to what's happening from Washington. Well, actually, if you look at what he was saying when he said that, what he was saying, we're taking Just remind us what he said. Well. Because the Americans have asked us to make sure that we uh, work to get the humanitarian relief into Gaza. That's what he was saying. And so the Americans have an enormous influence on Israel, but anybody who, who's watched the history of U.S.-Israel relations and U.S. Palestine, uh, uh, and U.S. attempts to engage in the region knows the 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 ability of uh, of the United States to get any Israeli government to do exactly what it wants is pretty limited. Uh, because some say there's growing feeling within Israel, obviously there's a huge op opposition before October 7th to Netanyahu, who, who feel actually what the United States has done over all these decades has used Israel as a proxy there in the Middle East and not allowed Israel to be created as a, as a normal state in the region, making alliances and links to regional Arab powers. Uh, it's being well, used it is as a normal state carrier. in the region now, in that sense, it has been making links with, with, with a large number of Arab countries uh, and was about to do so with, with Saudi Arabia. I don't think... It, you know, states aren't used as proxies in this way. They're all they all have agency. Everybody's got agency in all of this. Nobody's uh, 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 acting just at somebody else's behest. Um, Israel 
uh, went through a period in the early 90s, it went through a period in, in, even in the 60s, when it, when it was possible to imagine a different sort of um, Israel to, 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 to the one that developed with different sort of borders. They had the Oslo process as well. Those of us who remember what happened to the Oslo process was, as it was going on, Hamas was regularly uh, mounting bomb attacks and so on within Israel to derail the process. Which yeah, eventually... Actually, we spoke to the former Israeli foreign minister and uh, on the previous Going Underground, who said the Oslo uh, Oslo uh, Accords were uh, a failure, and he then became chief negotiator, uh, Professor Shlomo Ben-Ami. Uh, but without getting too into the uh, information about all those different failed uh, peace processes, let's just get to WMD. I mean, in the Iraq inquiry, you slammed MI6, blaming it for Iraq WMD claims. Israel has WMD, and I'm not yeah. the uh, alleged chemical weapons, of course, uh, that are being used, white phosphorus uh, is there, but uh, of course, nuclear weapons. How, can, how, how does the current uh, slaughter uh, in the context of Israel having nuclear weapons change things? There was, in the initial aftermath of October 7, there was talk about uh, Hamas uh, capturing or, or getting to Dimona. I'd be very surprised if it got to Dimona. Um, uh, Israel, Israel has been uh, an undeclared nuclear power for um, a number of decades now. It, it, uh, uh, it was an important, has been an important factor uh, as a reminder of why a war in that region uh, that went to uh, war between states, Iran and Israel, for example, would be potentially very catastrophic. It was raised as a potential issue during the 1973 war. I haven't actually seen it raised as something that uh, could be used uh, or has any particular relevance to this case. Sir Lawrence Friedman, I'll stop you there. More from the Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London, known as the Dean of British Strategic Studies after this break. Welcome back to Going Underground. I'm still here with the Emeritus Professor of War Studies at King's College London, the Iraq Inquiries, Sir Lawrence Friedman. Sir Lawrence, we were just talking about uh, why many people don't really talk about Israel's nuclear weapons program. Obviously, they deny they have one. Uh, it's not subject to the MPT. Why do you think it is that no one talks about it? Because surely never, that would they change... Never wholly, they never wholly deny they have one. They, the, 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 the official line is, uh, we won't be the first to introduce nuclear weapons into the Middle East, but we won't be the second, uh, it's words. Uh, I, I, the, the, it's not a declared nuclear power. It, it's never had a nuclear test. There are some questions about an event in South Africa in the late 70s, but there's never, there's never been a declared nuclear test. It's not a declared nuclear power. Um, uh, it's happy for people to assume it's a nuclear power because it gets a deterrent benefit from that, but it doesn't have the consequences uh, of actually declaring it. And it's lived like that for, for many decades now. Yeah, the library in the House of Commons in London, uh, upon which uh, our legislators in Britain uh, rely on for information to legislate, clearly says it's near universally accepted they have nuclear weapons. Yeah. But isn't it important then that if... Uh, if indeed resistance fighters did capture Demona in any way, that would make it very relevant indeed. If somebody got to Demona 
uh, they, they get to a nuclear reactor um, and somewhere that produces fissionable material. They wouldn't get to the weapons. Uh, and uh, I find it very hard to believe that they would get that far. They might strike it. I mean, the, 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 the uh, Iraqis tried to strike it with scuds during the 1991 desert storm, but, but that's a different... Uh, that's a different issue. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's, it's it's one of the main scenarios to worry about at the moment. It's clear that uh, China and Russia don't agree with Britain, France, and the United States at the UN Security Council. I mean, the uh, war uh, in Ukraine, do you believe that that uh, has clearly stopped uh, Moscow hosting any peace talks? After all, they have friendship with both Israel and the Palestinians. Is that why we haven't seen... Uh, talks open up in uh, in Moscow? Yes, I think it's probably the case that if we hadn't had the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, um, Russia would have been much more involved at the moment in the diplomacy. It does have relations with Iran, which of course intensified um, because Iran is now supplying Russia with weapons for its war. Uh, and Netanyahu and, uh, uh, and Putin had perfect, a good relationship. Um, they spoke quite regularly, and uh, they worked together to sort of stay, uh, keep apart, deconflict their relationship uh, over Syria. But I think that that relationship has become a bit more tense because uh, Russia has leaned more to Iran than, uh, than obviously it has to to Israel. But I think that limits the role that Russia can play at the moment. China has, has made sort of an even-handed statement. Uh, but I don't think it particularly wants to get involved in this conflict. China has definitely damned the uh, slaughter in Gaza in no uncertain terms. China is not playing a big role in this conflict. You use your language, but uh, it's not. It's it's uh, uh, it's not going to support. Uh, the West, because it doesn't support the West on very much, but it's just not something that it wants to get involved in at the moment. It's got enough on its plate. I know that there were those uh, reports, of course, of their warships uh, uh, coming into the Middle East, but apparently uh, that was a routine uh, deployment. But, of course, it was China that brokered the deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia, of course, cut off normalization talks and has been very critical of... Uh, UK, US, EU. Actually, and, uh, actually, if you look at the readout between um, President Biden and the Crown Prince, it was really quite interesting and and, and quite moderate. In in um, that's in the White respects. House version in the Times of Israel. Well, maybe. Well, you, perhaps you can tell me there's a different Saudi version. But the um, uh, I don't think Saudi Arabia is delighted with what Hamas did. It was part it was clearly directed against Saudi foreign policy to a degree because they didn't like the normalization talks. Um, the Saudis and the Americans, uh, I think, uh, are patching up what had been a pretty poor relationship. Uh, and Saudi is still very concerned about um, uh, Iranian influence in the region. Again, it looked like, as you mentioned, with with, with China playing as a marginal, but in the end, not trivial role, uh, in helping uh, the two get together, that uh, that has led to less than than you might imagine, and and I think, uh, actually, I mean personally, I think the Saudi role over the next a couple of weeks, in a constructive sense, 
may may be quite important. Uh, I'd be I'd be looking uh, as clearly Biden is at Riyadh uh, uh, as a country that can play a very important part in the diplomacy. I mean, judging by the horror at uh, the UN Security Council in in New York, as people discussed what Israel are doing to... Uh, yeah, okay, I'm a horror of what Hamas does, which, you, you know, which you keep on failing no, to I'm, mention. I'm not saying it, I'm judging These by the... These things don't happen in a vacuum. No, we say things don't happen in a vacuum. They, they, they also it, it is a response to some quite appalling uh, acts by Hamas. So there's, you know, uh, and most countries have managed to be... Uh, uh, to, to express their concern of both uh, sets of suffering, not just one. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just talking about the situation. I'm surprised. I mean, as you know, uh, there are, the Palestinians consider that there are thousands of hostages, of Palestinian hostages, kept for decades in behind bars in uh, in Israel. Uh, I think that what I mean is that, of course, while uh, all countries have condemned the taking of hostages by uh, uh, resistance movements like Hamas uh, on October 7th, they also showed a horror, as I'm sure we all feel, uh, when we see the picture, I don't know if they're censored in Britain. I know Britain censors a lot of journalism, and uh, the BBC apparently suspended some uh, journalists. But uh, certainly here in this region, the uh, vast majority of people are seeing the horrors of what's coming out. But but you're an expert on war, and I'm wondering whether people are looking at what the Russians did in uh, Ukraine, uh, not flattening Kiev, for instance, uh, versus. Uh, what uh, Israel does to Gaza, what uh, the United States and Britain did to Baghdad. Uh, have you actually looked at what Russia did to Mariupol? Yeah, no, I'm talking about thousands, the capital. Thousands, thousands and thousands of civilian casualties, systematic attacks on Ukrainian infrastructure, uh, cutting off uh, to cut off electricity and water. If Israel has given them the amount of ordnance Israel had dropped if they really wanted to kill just kill civilians, I, I fear an awful lot more would have been killed and have already been killed. They're trying to attack targets, but they're attacking targets in civilian areas. Um, uh, and that leads to what goes on. I, again, I'm just I'm, saying I'm you're gonna... an expert on war. It's obviously a besieged territory where half of the 2.3 million yeah, are children. I, I, I mean, it, obviously, yes. if you drop that many bombs on an urban area. I mean, is it proportionate? People, but you're not, you believe it's pro if, proportionate? If, if you were deliberately, if Israel had deliberately sought uh, just to kill civilians, uh, and that was the only objective of all of this, then a lot more would have died. The problem is, as you say, that if you're mounting military operations of any sort in a territory in which large numbers of civilians live and that uh, as the secretary general of the un noted military installations have been placed amongst those civilians then uh, that's going to aggravate the problem it, russia attacked uh, using similar justifications uh, civilian areas because they said it was part of military necessity to do so. They, well, Russia, they, Russia denied the whole series. Russia, of course, denied that. But, but no, I, I sorry. Well, so you, the, but you think it's, it's proportional? It's you believe it is proportional what Israel are doing to Gaza? Proportionality is is. I mean, I think, and I've written this uh, that there are extraordinary limits to what Israel can achieve by military action. Uh, and I think they've got themselves in a strategic mess, uh, to be honest. 
Um, I think they... But is it proportionate? Let me explain. The anger on 7th of October led them to set in motion a number of things uh, which are not... Uh, uh, the, the, the siege, the, the, uh, tightening the siege, uh, airstrikes, and calling up large numbers of people for a, a, a military incursion which hasn't yet happened. Um, proportionality as a legal concept is extraordinarily difficult. Um, it's not just who's killed the most people, it's about concepts of military necessity uh, uh, or just simple in, in intention to kill. So, it, it, and if, you know, strictly speaking, you wouldn't argue that uh, Israel should have just sent people in to butcher Palestinians uh, in similar ways to the way Hamas butchered uh, Israelis. It, so it, it doesn't it, it doesn't really help. If you want to say far too many the people, no, the have numbers died are, the numbers Gaza, are just so different. Of course, far too Lawrence, many. the numbers are so different. Well, anyway, just finally, then, um, I mean, clearly, the United States and its EU proxies they lost in uh, in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Syria. Uh, let alone, as you write in your book, Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, so many other places. Would Iran win a war against the United States with its allies in the region, uh, let alone uh, de facto support from the new BRICS countries, Shanghai Cooperation Organization? Uh, would uh, the United States and European Union countries uh, backing Israel, would they lose? No, uh, I don't think they would, but I don't, uh, first, I mean, the, the issue of a war with, with Iran and the issue of whether it's good for Iran um, partly depends on Iran, and one doesn't get the impression that most Iranians would be desperately keen on the idea either. No, no, of course. No and one so, wants so, the war. No, I mean, the, 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 would they the again reason, lose? Would the NATO countries that the again United lose? States, the reason that the United States and its allies uh, fared so badly in Iraq and um, uh, Afghanistan and in Vietnam before that, and so and Syria. on. Syria. It's because they 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 tried to impose governments in places uh, where they weren't welcome, and where the governments didn't have uh, sufficient legitimacy and authority to survive. Uh, the reason why Russia has so much trouble in Ukraine is it's not welcome in Ukraine either. Uh, is Israel was in Gaza, it left out because it, it left Gaza in 2005 because it wasn't welcome there. And, and it won't be welcome if it tries to go back in there. It'll have, it'll have trouble again. That's why you lose wars, by, by trying to impose your will on places which, which uh, uh, don't want you to be there. Uh, and you, know, you can find examples from many countries where, where that has been the case. Uh, but a, a major, a straightforward, regular warfare between um, Iran and its allies, such as they are, and I don't think they'd get, they'd find many people rushing to join in, and the United States and its allies, uh, so long as it was a conventional war, there's no doubt who would win. Uh, it would be the West. Um, but I don't. <laughs> Okay, I, th reason. I think many people will, uh, looking at that, based on the record, doubt that. I've tried to explain why. Is the, the United States has not lost conventional wars. What it has lost is insurgencies. Um, uh, you'll find very few examples where the Americans get beat uh, when it's just regular forces against regular forces. They get beat because they... Uh, they hang, they try to uh, defeat uh, local indigenous movements. Sir Lawrence Friedman, thank you. 
And that's it for the show. And condolences from the whole team here at Going Underground to those bereaved by the ongoing violence here in the Middle East. We'll be back with a brand new episode on Saturday. Until then, keep in touch via all our social media if it's not censored in your country. And head to our channel, Going Underground TV, on rumble.com to watch new and old episodes of Going Underground. See you Saturday. Saturday.